Good morning. Uh, first, I'd like to give an update. Our, uh, our sister, uh, Joanne Sadler, uh, was uh, in the hospital today, uh, this week. Uh, she's getting out this afternoon. Uh, she uh, ended up having an ulcer, and uh, they're going to treat it with medication, and she's going to be okay. But I just wanted to give everyone the update. Uh, I'd like to um, excuse our children to Children's Church. Uh, just a, a time that uh, more appropriate uh, lesson for their age group um, and uh, probably a little bit more fun than what you're going to have to suffer through. <laughs> let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our uh, time that uh, we can spend uh, worshiping you, singing your praises, but also uh, studying your word and talking about it and looking for ways to apply it in our lives. We thank you that uh, the prognosis for our sister Joanne is, is well and that uh, uh, she can come home this afternoon and, uh, and start the path of recovery. Uh, be with our time in Jesus' name, amen. You may have probably noticed I'm not Tim. <clears throat> He's got more hair on his face, and um, uh, said Remy is is in Georgia. Tim's in Illinois. Probably right about now, he's starting to perform a wedding ceremony. So he's he's there celebrating a wedding and uh, performing that service. Today's a unique day in America. All across the nation on this special Lord's Day, this is the opportunity for all the youth pastors and associate pastors who get to preach. <laughs> Regular pastors have gone to see their in-laws or their children or their parents. All the guest speakers are not touring this week. So, uh, so all the youth pastors and associate pastors get called to the office and go, this is your opportunity today. Um, and so you guys got me. Uh, it is my privilege to come and speak to you this morning and, uh, and uh, bring you the word. As we celebrate the last Sunday in 2018, I'd like us to look at 2 John. We are, as Jim mentioned, we're going through a whole book of the Bible. Just be happy I didn't pick Isaiah. <laughs> Just saying. Um, this is a special time. Christmas has passed. Christmas is behind us. Uh, new Year's Eve is tomorrow. But more importantly, the new year is coming in. What is 2019 going to look like? Many folks think about making New Year's resolutions this time of year. Um, lose weight, uh, read through the Bible in a year, things like that. But I thought it might be nice to look at what should we commit to as Trinity Community Church? What should we as a church commit to in 2019 to looking like, to acting like? I thought 2 John would be a good place to look at that. So 2 John opens with a greeting from the elder. It just starts with the elder. Um, it has always been known to, uh, to be written by the Apostle John. Uh, there's never been any real controversy that 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written by the Apostle John. Uh, the, um, the title, The Elder, actually means 
the elderly one. So all of you who make jokes about me being elderly when I say I'm an elder, you're, you've, got, you've got biblical basis for that. It's also the title, it's also the office of elder, but he's writing as, as a senior, as one of the, the, the seniors in the church. Uh, and he's writing to the elect lady and her children. Uh, so as the elder has always been the Apostle John, there's always usually been a consensus uh, that the elect lady and her children were was not a lady and her kids, but a church, a fellowship, a fellowship of believers. The elect lady being the church, the children being those who are in that church. A couple of things bring that up for us. It's entirely written in second person plural. So every time you see you or your, it's, it's second person plural which is not how you would write to another person. And the other thing is, if John is writing to a lady, to a specific lady, verse 5 becomes a really awkward commandment when you have a man telling a woman that he is, she is commanded to love him and we're to love each other. Uh, so verse 5 becomes awkward and written in second person plural kind of indicate to us that this is written to a group, to a fellowship of believers. John doesn't mess around. He gets right into his point. He starts in verses 1 through 3, um, and he jumps right into it. The message here is love, but the foundation for that love is truth. And what is love without truth? That's the, the point that he's, he's bringing up to them. What is love without truth? Christ is truth. We always say, what is truth? Christ. Uh, in, um, in John 14, chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ fulfilled every single Old Testament prophecy. That's truth. And the truth of the Son the truth of Christ, the truth of the Messiah, allows us to approach the Father. Without the Son, we, we have no access to the Father. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That is where eternal peace comes from. Being that way, Christ being that way, is life. To be that life is love. We have life in Christ, and that is truth, and that brings about love. In Ephesians 4.15, uh, uh, Paul writes, rather, the speaking, the, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking the truth in love produces growth. When you speak the truth in love, it produces growth. We mature in our life in Christ when we learn of the love that God has for us. When we have this realization of God's love, that produces growth. It's said that when John was advanced in his age, and he became very old, possibly into his 90s, um, he was uh, unable to walk, he was barely able to speak, and he was actually carried into the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. 
and he was so frail, he was to the point that all he could say was, love one another. All he could do is say, love one another. For the man who wrote John 3.16, love was a fundamental motivating factor. John was about love. Love is truth practiced. When you practice truth, it is, it is brought out as love. So the truth that abides in us forever is a catalyst for love. When we walk in truth, when we live our lives in the truth of the gospel, we become people who love. When we're walking in that truth, when we're living our life in truth, when we understand the gospel and we live in the gospel, we become people who love. So the truth produces love. Your love comes from the truth. Love becomes more than an emotion. Love practiced in truth becomes a considerable weight on the scales of your life. Instead of just being a squishy feeling where you kind of your head feels light and your stomach is all full of butterflies, it becomes a principle of living your life. It becomes how you live. How you love becomes how you live. Your life is marked by love. So truth producing love changes how we live. We become people who live our lives in love that is in truth. God loves us. That's John's message. Go to uh, 1 John 4 if you have your Bibles. It's only two pages over. Uh, verses 7 through 11. Again, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our love isn't something we do to gain treasure. We don't love because it earns us something. It doesn't, we don't love because that burns off some of our sins. We don't love as exercise so we can get fit. <laughs> so I've told. I'm, I'm told that if you exercise, you get fit. I wouldn't know about that. Uh, but to love because it's a means to an end is not love in truth. To love with an ulterior motive is not loving in truth. We don't love so it gives us something else. Um, it used to be you got coupon, you got 
trading set, blue chip stamps or something. Now it's points on an app on your phone. See commercials all the time. You, if you buy enough of a product, they give you one of the products for free if you have enough points. Don't think of living your life in love as those points on an app that gets you something later. Love is the result. Love itself is the benefit. It's the reward. It's the end of the process. We love simply because it's what we do. It may not sound logical, but trust me, it works. We love just because that's what we do is we love. So verse 3 kind of expands what living in truth produces. Alongside love, grace, mercy, and peace are with us. Now, certainly those are blessings we receive in our life. We, we receive grace. We receive mercy. That allows us to have peace. And those things are wonderful. They're great. And we take them and we hold them and we bury them deep inside of us and we lock them away so they're secure, so we don't lose them. Which ain't right. <laughs> That's not how we do it. Um, to, to hold it in ourselves, we're not practicing those. These are attributes that we need to practice. Because when we do, it elevates the beauty of grace and peace and mercy. They become demonstrated. And do you realize that practicing love, grace, mercy, and peace does not deplete them? Unlike the treadmill, you're not burning off grace, mercy, love, and peace by using them. You're adding to them. You're growing them. They become greater. They become deeper. They become richer when you exercise them and you use them. That's just the introduction. This guy, John, doesn't mess around. He packs everything in really tightly in this little book. So verses 4 through 6, John said he's rejoicing because he heard that some of her children, the Christians in this fellowship, are walking in truth. He's seeing them living their life in truth. The encouragement of seeing other Christians live their lives, practicing truth, produces joy in us and produces love. We see other people walking in truth. That produces love in us. John said he's rejoicing because he's heard that some of her children are walking in the truth. Walking shows that this is a practice that is consistent in their lives. This is how they live life. They walk through life practicing walking in truth. Walking in truth means that you're living your life in a manner that's pleasing to God. You recognize God's truth and you walk in that. And he says, just as we were commanded by the Father, that's the definition of walking in truth. God told us this, let's be obedient and walk in that. Obeying the commandment, this commandment, is love based on truth. And John says now he's not writing a new commandment, but talking about the love for each other that he's always talked about. Again, if you go back to 1 John 3, verse 11. 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He says, I'm not telling you something new. I've been saying this forever. I've always been telling you this message. But he gets, he gets clever. He gets tricky here. He tells us that the definition of love is to live our lives keeping God's commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Go to Matthew 22. Yeah, go ahead and just shout it out if you know it because the pastor's not here. We can do anything we want. If we start talking in church, he can't do anything till he hears this message on tape. <laughs> Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is walking according to God's commandments, and his first commandment is walk in love. See what he did there? That's pretty cool. Walk in the commandments. What's the first thing you have to do? Love walking in the commandments. Love is walking in the commandments, and the commandment is to walk in love. So does God need to command us to love? We, that, that's kind of weird for us, God telling us we have to love. Love, we, we still think of love as this emotion that falls on us. We fall in love like we tripped over it in the dark. But... There's a practice of practicing love, walking in love, a conscious practicing love. The great commandment is certainly not the great suggestion. So we need to weigh this as a commandment of God. If you love God with all that is in you and love your neighbor just like you love yourself, that is not sin. That's the, that's the opposite of sinning. The path away from sin is to love God and love one another. In 2 John verse 5, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. Have you noticed that John uses the same phrases over and over again? That's why we look at this and we go, John definitely wrote this because he, he's saying the same thing in all of these letters. It's kind of cool. It's awesome. I, okay, I nerd out, stuff like that. Um, the path away from sin is to love God and love one another. So how's that for a New Year's resolution? How about that? That the path away from sin is to love God and love one another. So instead of focusing on sin, and this isn't a bad thing to, to be aware of your sin and to walk away from it, to turn away from it, but that's kind of focusing on the negative. It's like quitting smoking and thinking about cigarettes all the time. Instead, turn towards truth and love. Strive forward to love rather than looking back on our sin. We need to be aware that we are sinners. But let's focus on truth. Let's focus on love. Let's focus on truth in love as a way forward. 
And if you're living your life and you love God with all that's in you, and you love your neighbor just the way you want to be loved, you're not going to be sinning. You're getting further and further away from sin. So do we gain when we love? Do we get something? Sure we do. Love benefits us. But is that what motivates us? Does it motivate us to love because we get something? Remember the app with your points on it? Your love points or whatever? Are you loving because you get more points? In three sentences here, John uses the term walk three times. Walking in truth and love calls us to live our lives that way. Have you noticed I'm hitting one point? Live your life, walk your life every single day in love and truth. It's not something we start and stop. It's not an overcoat we put on when we're cold. It's not a means to an end. Love is the result. Love is the end. Living our lives, walking in truth and in love, is the same as breathing. It's what we do to live. Truth and love become who we are. Love, as a result, becomes evidence of a changed life in Christ. The love that the church has for each other and the love that we express to the lost defines who we are and that we are the evidence that we are changed life. So we love not because just because we are commandment. We love not just because we are commanded. We love because we are able. We can love without the burden of the task being performed for a reward. We can simply love because God loves us. What a relief. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful relief to not be burdened with having to perform a function. And what is love if you're performing it as a, as a task? Is it really love? Or is it just kind of something that looks like love from a distance. So we come to the, the third part of this uh, third section uh, in, uh, uh, in 2 John, uh, seven through, verses 7 through 11. Uh, again, I'd like you to go back to 1 John 4 um, first, and we'll, we'll read verses 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and, is, and now is in the world already. You can go back to 2 John. So there was likely, we, we have evidence uh, of false teachers. False teachers were traveling around. 
And they were preaching a message of Jesus Christ as being something other than fully God and fully man. They're preaching that Christ is not going to come in the flesh. He says in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Boom, right there. They are preaching that Christ's second coming will not be in the person physically of Christ. And that's what was being, being preached at the time. And they could make a good living. This was a good deal. If you were a, a clever speaker, if you were one that tickled the ears, you had, a, you had a clever show, you had five good jokes, you could stand up and you could make a living preaching a false doctrine and deceiving the church. This is more than a huckster. This is more than a snake oil salesman. They were deceivers and the Antichrist. Need to stop and kind of clarify things. This is not the Antichrist, capital T, capital A, that we read about in Revelation. That is a specific person in the end times. This is one who is anti-Christ. See how we did that there? You, you can actually hear the hyphen I put in, huh? This was a term that was used that, that anyone who was opposing Christ was an antichrist. So that's who he's talking about. Those who are opposing Christ because they aren't preaching the truth. This all wraps back up to the beginning. Preaching the truth, knowing the truth. This isn't the truth that they are preaching. In, in John, 1 John 2.21, I'll just read it to you. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is in the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So those, there were those going around preaching that Jesus was something other than the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one that had been promised from the beginning of time. He was something other than that. And what John warns them about in, in 2 John is watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but may win a full reward. Don't lose what we've worked for. To start with, he says, don't you, again, plural, and then we, and he includes himself. Now, some manuscripts may say you, your translation may say you worked for. Uh, it's still a plural you, and it could include uh, John when he says that. So what we're talking about is a loss of reward, not a loss of salvation. When Paul writes about, you know, everything being put on the, the refiner's fire and the gold and the silver remains and the, the straw and the wood is consumed and burned up, that's what he's talking about. Your reward is going to be diminished. And he says, you need to watch out for yourself. Watch out what you're doing. Watch out who you're following. Watch out who you're listening to. Because it will affect the work that we, all of us, have worked for. John includes himself in that. 
the work of the apostle is at risk of being lost. If they become those who don't abide, who don't remain in the true gospel, the reward for John, who has worked for them, and themselves is diminished. They would become that straw and that wood for John. And he doesn't want that for them because he does not want them to, to fail. But even if they remain true, they would still be diminished in their reward. So his work is at risk of being lost if they don't uh, abide in the true gospel. So he's asking him to hold fast to the teaching you know is true. Hey, that's another good resolution for 2019. That we hold fast to the teaching that we know is true. I think that's pretty good. We'll see. Um, verse 9 is simple and stark. If you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. It's pretty straightforward. You can't possess knowledge of God if you don't believe what Christ taught. If Christ teaches truth and you don't believe what Christ says, how do you know the truth? How can you have the truth? You can't because you've rejected it. How could you claim the promise of salvation and an eternal life with God if you reject the teaching and the commandments of the Son? You can't. Those are those are impossible to rectify. If you reject the truth, you can't accept the, the reward of the truth. It, it can't happen that way. If you hold on to that teaching, if you hold on to the teaching of Jesus Christ, then you have both the Father and the Son. You have both because you have the Son and you have his beautiful sacrifice and your salvation and you have the promise of fellowship with the Father. So now these traveling teachers, come back around to them, they've got a plan, and they may not be traveling. Let's just throw out a warning. Some of them may be in very, very large mega churches with satellite TV broadcasts. Just saying. But these false teachers have a plan because they're relying on the offerings of the churches to support them. that people are believing them and giving them money. They're also counting on the, the hospitality of the faithful. They're counting on their hospitality, their good Christian hospitality, to take care of them, to take care of their needs, to feed them, to house them, to give them money. If a preacher doesn't preach the one true gospel, John says, reject them completely. Don't just, well, let's just agree to disagree. No. Reject them completely. Someone who says Christ is less than fully God and fully man is not teaching the gospel. They're teaching something else and calling it the gospel. And because somebody will stand and hold the Bible open and tell you something and say it's the gospel, but it's not what's in here, they're lying, and they're a false teacher, and you shouldn't listen to them. You should reject them. They're teaching something else. They might as well be selling us vacuum cleaners from the pulpit 
for all the good it's going to do for your eternal life. He says, don't receive them. Don't, don't bring them in. Don't show them that hospitality. Bringing them in gives them a reflected authority on their teaching. If someone comes in that door, I greet them warmly. I shake their hand. I say, it's good to be here. I introduce them to all of you. They come up here, they open their Bible, and they start preaching, and they preach a false doctrine. In your mind, you're going, well, Dan liked him. Depends upon how you feel about me, but you might say, there might be something to this guy. Maybe we should listen because Dan thought he was okay. He's working off reflected authority. We need to be careful of giving that to those who are false teachers. They can preach using your good name as a, a believer in good standing, one who's walking in truth and in love, to teach things you don't believe. To me, that's scary. <laughs> that's horrible. Now that polluted doctrine creeps into your fellowship. Now you're saying, well, you know, the guy stood up front. He had a great suit. You know, Dan welcomed him in the door, and now that doctrine starts to seep in here, that pollution seeps into this church, and it becomes part of who Trinity is, and that is horrible. So after telling us we should love, John says, don't greet certain folk. Can't make up his mind. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, he says, leave them out in the cold. Give them the cold shoulder. Reject them. Don't friend them on Facebook. Whatever. Just don't greet them. The commandment about love was to love in truth, but there's no truth in the false teachers. Remember, he says they are part of the Antichrist. We need to treat them like that. We need to be aware of that. And that's harsh, and that's strong, and it should be. And now this isn't about sinners. Jesus spent time with sinners and tax collectors. You can see that in Matthew 9. He, he sat down with, with sinners and the lost and the tax collectors. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, about don't separate yourself from the lost. Otherwise, how do you reach them? But in the next verses, he warns against fellowshipping with a false believer. We need to guard ourselves against those false people who are teaching something other than the gospel. Now, verse 11 warns us that we greet them when we recognize their message, we join in their wickedness. This is serious. We're joining with them. When we greet them. So does that mean when they come through the door, we all do this? We all cover our eyes and look away. We don't offer them coffee and, and snack. The Greek word here for greets is translated 42 times in the New Testament as rejoice. 
And only three times is it translated as greet. By the way, if you look down, read ahead, verse 13 uses the word greet, and that's a different word that means greet. <laughs> so it's really stark the difference here because the normal word for Greek is in verse 13, but in verse 11, he uses a different word. So you could really read verse 11, for whoever rejoices in him takes part in his wicked works. So rejoicing in a false gospel is a wicked work. That will destroy a church. That will tear it apart faster than anything. So now, now that we've set this bar, we need to do a word of caution. Look again at verse 7. Who are the deceivers? What is their message? These are the people who, says, who preach that Jesus Christ is not coming in the flesh. Those who don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh are the ones that we are talking about. Not the church down the street that uses a different brand of grape juice for communion. We're not talking about the church that does the announcements before the sermon instead of after the sermon. There are minors. There are non-essentials. There's a famous old saying, unity and necessary things. Liberty and doubtful things. Oh, I read the wrong. Unity and necessary things, liberty and doubtful things, and charity and all things. In earliest, it was called in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and all things charity. In the doubtful things, let's have liberty. In the non-essential things, let's have liberty and join with our Christian brothers and sisters in other churches. Great. But in the essentials, that Jesus Christ is going to return in the flesh, we need to have unity among us. We need to be strong in those areas. We need to put a fence around those, but the others hold an open hand. So, I don't want you to take this and run down the street and start throwing rocks at the Methodist Church. I'm looking at some of you. Uh, when we're talking about greeting and not greeting, let's remember who are our brothers and sisters in Christ and who are those false teachers. How do you know that? Know the truth. Know what the truth is. And know that truth in love and walk in that truth and walk in that love and you will recognize the false teacher every single time. So John has a lot to say to this church. He says in the end, though I have much to write you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come see you. He's got a lot to say, tons to say. Knowing John from his writing, it's going to all be about love because that's who John is. He says he can't wait to come and talk to them face to face. So why write this letter? Why did he write this letter if he's going to come see them face to face? I think that just shows us how important this point is. Those false teachers were out there. He needs to let them know. 
But he can't just say, don't listen to false teachers because what's a false teacher? So he defines what a false teacher is and then he says, the best way to do it is know the truth and practice the truth in love. This isn't simply a nice letter of encouragement, but a reminder of the truth, a command to love, and a warning about those who are going to destroy the church. Those three things were so important, John had to sit down, write them a letter, and send it off. Can we commit to these things in 2019 at Trinity Community Church? to walk in truth, to walk in love, to practice grace, mercy, and peace. I think as we go forward into the year, that would be a wonderful growth producing, and not numbers, but people, <laughs> your hearts growing, your walk closer with Christ, if we commit to do that as we go in to 2019. We practice love for each other, we show love to the lost, and we are zealous for truth and firm against false teaching. That's my prayer for our church for next year. Let's close. Father, thank you for our time in your word. Thank you for the Apostle John and just his, his commitment to showing your love to us. What a blessing. And what an encouragement. Be with us this day as we go out into the world that we can demonstrate that love and walk in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.